Welcome to a special AAEP Convention edition of Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour, brought to you by Decra Veterinary Products. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Ryan Ferris, DVM, MS, DACT, who owns Summit Equine outside of Woodburn, Oregon, with his wife, Dr. Dora Ferris. Both veterinarians are originally from Washington State, and they performed their veterinary training at Washington State University. Dr. Ferris completed a residency in theriogenology at Colorado State University, and he is board certified by the American College of Theriogenology. Following his residency, Dr. Ferris stayed on at Colorado State University as a faculty member and worked there until 2017 when he and his wife opened Summit Equine. Dr. Ferris specializes in problem mares and embryo transfer. He is recognized internationally for his research program in diagnostics and therapeutics for endometritis. Thank you, Dr. Ferris, for joining us today on this special AAEP convention edition of Disease Du Jour to talk about endometritis. Happy to be here today and, and share with uh, practitioners and, and technicians and students uh, various aspects of endometritis. Okay, well, let's just jump right in and, and discuss what is endometritis and inflammatory versus infectious. Yeah, it's, it's always a troubling thing of, of endometritis. You know, we use the term quite commonly, um, but really, you know, if you think about endometritis just in its very specific terms, it's just suggesting inflammation in the, in the lining of the uterus, which really comes down to what's causing that inflammation. There's sterile sources of inflammation and then infectious etiologies that can cause inflammation in the uterus. And, and really, we kind of almost treat those as two separate disease processes, and they have various different diagnostics and, and therapeutics associated with them. So there's the inflammatory conditions and then the infectious conditions um, that we see with endometritis. When we think about inflammatory endometritis, we'll start there. The most common reason we see inflammatory endometritis in the horse is post-breeding or post-mating induced endometritis. And this is a, a, a little bit of a hard topic to wrap, wrap our heads around sometimes. So if we think about the normal mare going through the breeding process, um, she's gonna get either artificially inseminated or, or live covered by a stallion that's gonna introduce billions of, of spermatozoa up into that mare's uterus. And, and that mare has to have a way to clear all the, the extra sperm that aren't required for fertilization out of her reproductive tract. So the normal mare, again, we're talking about the normal mare here, has a, a normal inflammatory process that occurs. It happens quite quickly uh, upon being exposed to spermatozoa. And that inflammatory response peaks somewhere eight to 12 hours post um, exposure to spermatozoa. And then it, by 24 to 36 hours after exposure, that inflammatory process has really gone away and has been removed. Now, in, in some mares, um, that inflammatory process isn't turned off and they continue to have inflammation for several days um, after breeding in, their, in, their, in the endometrium. And what that's gonna do is that early embryo when it enters from the oviduct into the uterus on day six, six and a half after ovulation, it's gonna enter into that very inflammatory hostile environment and undergo early embryonic loss. 
Now, what kind of mares are we going to be thinking about that may be prone to this? Um, older mares, mares that have had multiple foals, um, and by older, I, I would say mares that are greater than 15 years of age, they can be prone, not every mare, but they can be prone to having um, excessive inflammation after breeding. Um, older maiden mares, um, interestingly, can be exposed to this, uh, have the same phenomenon, mares that have never been allowed to carry a foal, but are now 15, 16, 17 years of age and making a, a shift in their careers from a performance category to being a broodmare, um, they can have quite excessive inflammation after breeding as well. Um, so these would be the main mares that we'd be thinking about uh, for developing uh, uh, endometritis after breeding. There's not a good diagnostic technique um, to predict what mares, if you had two mares walk into the stocks or into the exam area at any point, it's hard to predict which mare may develop um, this inflammatory condition after, after exposure to spermatozoa. And that we don't really have any good diagnostic tests to distinguish one mare that, that is gonna be normal and the mare that may have fluid or, or excessive inflammation after breeding. And really the way that we recognize this inflammation after breeding most readily is, is excessive amounts of fluid in the uterine lumen 12 to 24 hours after exposure to spermatozoa. And then once that mare kind of gets, gets categorized as being a mare that is susceptible to, to mating or breeding-induced endometritis, you know, we try to really make a note in that mare's record and history so that way as as this mare continues to be bred in the future, various therapeutics can, can be performed to try to alleviate that inflammation and, and try to be successful in, in helping that mare clear that inflammation from the uterus to result in a pregnancy or, or early embryo collection. Now, when we think about therapeutics for these mares, there's a, there's a wide variety of things that could be done um, for them. And really, I, I kind of somewhat divide these mares into to two different categories. We talked about the older mare who's had multiple foals previously, and then the older maiden mare. So let's talk about the, the older mare who's had previous foals um, and now is just developing a little bit of issues clearing fluid from her uterus. Sometimes um, some various medications that can be used to help alleviate um, that fluid, uh, something to help enhance uterine contractility, uh, such as oxytocin um, could be administered, and sometimes that's all that mare needs. Um, other mares may need uh, uh, further assistance with that clearance of that inflammation by administering things, by performing procedures such as a uterine lavage. Um, and the goal there is basically to rinse any spermatozoa that still may be in the in the uterus out of the mare's uterus and and really um, just decrease that inflammatory stimuli from the uterus and, and allow that inflammation to hopefully be cleared. So uh, for me in my program, you know, uh, uh, mares that have excessive fluid tw 12 to 24 hours after breeding, um, oxytocin and a uterine lavage are, are gonna be done routinely on those mares. Other considerations um, and other, other uh, treatments that are, could be available or utilized in some mares um, anti-inflammatories. Uh, it seems like the steroid class of anti-inflammatories are going to be much more helpful than our non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. The non-steroidal anti-inflammatories don't seem to be have a profound enough anti-inflammatory effects to modulate the inflammation associated with breeding. 
So most likely we're gonna be leaning towards um, either uh, prednisolone or dexamethasone um, to help modulate that inflammation. So that might be a, a great option for, for some of these mares. So the vast majority of mares with uterine lavages, um, oxytocin, and, and maybe some steroids are gonna be, be very well treated. And, and the, the one word of wisdom I'd, I'd pass along is, is be aggressive with your therapies. If you think if in the back of your mind you're debating, does this mare really need a lavage or not? She probably does need that lavage. And, and I try to be aggressive with my therapies because there's pretty good data. Uh, we had a student look back at, at thousands of cycles um, at Colorado State University. And what we found was that if you can have the mare's uterus free of fluid 48 hours post ovulation, pregnancy rates were not different um, in mares that had fluid after breeding um, to mares that had no fluid after breeding, which means that our, if we can provide appropriate therapies to get that mare's uterus free of inflammation by 48 hours post ovulation, pregnancy rates will remain unaffected. If the mare continued to have fluid 72 hours post ovulation, pregnancy rates dropped by 50% in that group of mares. So I, I would always encourage people to be, be a little bit more aggressive in your therapy than, and, and not be lackadaisical because if you miss that one day and you come back, back 36 to 48 hours after breeding and that mare still has a significant amount of, of fluid in her uterus and, and with that fluid is gonna be inflammation in the endometrium, pregnancy rates are gonna start dropping quite quickly. Um, some newer newer treatments that could be available and, and we oftentimes reach for in, in a small population of mares, um, some of the biologic therapies that have been utilized in, in for management of osteoarthritis and, and various lameness conditions, such as PRP, stem cells. Um, many of these products are being evaluated and used by different practitioners around the United States and around the world for the treatment of, of post-mating or post-breeding endometritis. Um, you know, we're still trying to, to wrap our head around of specifically what mares seem to respond the best to these um, various therapies, but you know, there's, there's a pretty good cohort and a lot of momentum behind them, kind of showing that these biologics that have been used for our, by our lameness colleagues may have a place in, in equine reproduction. Um, the initial studies look very promising um, for their usage, and now we're we're trying to figure out uh, how effective are these, what cases they work the best in, and you know the the long term goal is with hundreds and thousands of of mares treated, will they kind of actually enhance pregnancy rates in that population of mares? That's kind of the average mare that develops fluid post breeding. The other mare we talked about was the older maiden mare. Now she's a little bit different in, in her management scheme. We may do some of the same treatments, but she has a little bit of a, of a different pathophysiology as to why she's accumulating fluid. Oftentimes these older maiden mares, um, again, a mare 15 years of age and greater that has never carried a hole. And so that would include mares that have had embryo transfer done previously, um, but have never been allowed to carry as well. Those mares, we can get them artificially inseminated or covered by a stallion, but really what their underlying issue is, is that their cervix fails to relax when they're in heat. And with that closed cervix, we may put 
60 to 100 mils of, of semen up through the mare's cervix into the uterus. She has her normal inflammatory um, cascade of events, um, which, which should help initiate uterine contractions and pushing that fluid and all the extra sperm out, of, out through the cervix and, and out of the mare. The problem is with these older maiden mares, that cervix remains tight and closed. And with that tight and closed cervix, that mare can't push that fluid easily out. And, and I find these mares to be very challenging um, and, and can be quite difficult to manage. We oftentimes do many of the same therapies of, of oxytocin and, and uterine lavages and, and things like that with these mares as we would do with a mare that's just susceptible to getting endometritis. But that closed cervix can, and that tight cervix can be very difficult to manage some of these mares. Um, the nice thing is, is that if you can get this mare pregnant and let her carry a foal to term, that cervix will relax during the foaling process um, quite readily. And in the future, that mare may, um, will probably not have as much of an issue pooling fluid uh, following breeding as what she did this initial time being that older maiden mare. So the, I, I sometimes are begging clients when they come in uh, with a 16-year-old mare that's been a great performance winner, and usually they have a list of two embryos they want, want out of this mare and then breeder to carry, and, and I pretty much ask them, can we please this breeder to carry now and on the very first cycle? And that very first cycle of the season may be our best opportunity. The uterus is free of inflammation at this point. We're going to incite an inflammatory response when we breeder, but hopefully we can get that, that inflammatory response under control, get her pregnant, let her full out next year, and then it'll be very easy to, to get the couple embryos that they so want out of this, this very valuable performance mare. But um, we've tried lots of medications um, over the time to try to get that cervix to relax, things from mesoprostol, um, buscupan, um, uh, exogenous hormones such as estrogen to help enhance uh, uh, cervical relaxation, and all of them work marginally at best. Um, none of the treatments seem to really work uh, as well as we would like or consistently between mares. And so because of that, there's not a great way to overcome this. And, and if I had a, a, if there's any horse owners listening to this podcast out there or, or veterinarians who own horses, by the time a mare is 10 to 12 years of age, if you can really let her carry a foal at some point um, from, from three to 10, that will allow that cervix to stretch out um, and, and kind of stay in a more normal state. So that way, when you bring that mare back to, a, to being a broodmare from a performance career at 15, 16, 17 years of age, her reproductive success will be a lot higher than being that older maiden mare. Well, that's a good tip, Dr. Ferris. I'm, I'm sure that our uh, veterinarians and horse owners out there listening will appreciate that. So <clears throat> we were discussing inflammatory endometritis, but let's go, let's skip over to the infectious cases. And something that you had mentioned um, when we were discussing this earlier was biofilms. And what is the role these might play in chronic infections? Now we have a short word from our sponsor before we continue our interview. 
Decra Veterinary Products is the U.S. Sales and Marketing Division of Decra Pharmaceuticals PLC, a U.K.-listed company dedicated to the animal health care market. Decra sells and markets Osphos, the only intramuscular bisphosphonate indicated to help control the clinical signs associated with navicular syndrome in horses four years and older. Decker was the first to bring IRAP to the U.S. regenerative market in two sizes for easy processing. These products include Orthokine Vet IRAP 10 and Orthokine Vet IRAP 60, as well as their double-spin, high-platelet-rendering PRP kit, Osteokine. Other Decra products include Equidone Gel for fescue toxicosis in periparturant mares, the Vetivex line of IV fluids, and their equine joint supplements, Phycox-EQ and EQ-Max. Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting idea. Um, Dr. Michelle LeBlanc from, from Lexington, Kentucky, really is the one who, who brought the idea of biofilms potentially being a, a problem in, in chronic cases of, of infectious endometritis um, into the equine reproduction world. And... Um, I was fortunate enough when I was at Colorado State University to work with uh, a colleague um, who was in the microbiology department who specialized in biofilm research. And, and we did some, some collaborative things to try to figure out, can bacteria that infect the, the equine uterus produce a biofilm? And, and what are the ramifications of that? And so just to give a little background on biofilm, um, it's a it's a huge problem in in human um, side of, of the medical industry. Um, it's it's estimated to cause billions of dollars in in excessive therapies um, every year. And so, you know, it does seem to be a an actual real event that can happen. Um, and so, basically, what it is is these bacteria live in two different lifestyles. And most of the time, we think about the lifestyle of single cells floating around in space and they're kind of just gobbling up nutrients and and the body comes in with the white blood cells and its whole host of of its army and and eats up these little single free floating bacteria and and eliminate them the other lifestyle that bacteria can live in is is what's called a biofilm where these bacteria actually congregate in little colonies and, and actually start working together to survive almost as a community or a small town would. Um, there's bacteria that are in charge of, of defense mechanisms. There's bacteria that are in charge of, of production of nutrients. There's bacteria that are in charge of waste management. And so these bacteria are working together in these small little groups um, within this biofilm to avoid the host immune system and, and survive. And so it's, it's another lifestyle that they can live in to survive. And the ramifications that we see of that is this biofilm state is there, these bacteria are now highly tolerant to attack by the host immune system. And oftentimes they go um, even undetected by the host immune system. There are also times very, very tolerant to antibiotic therapy, um, sometimes upwards of 1,000 to 10,000 times more antibiotic tolerant than what they would be in the, the other lifestyle of this single free-floating cell. And, and so that's really where this antibiotic tolerance um, has become a huge issue in, in human, the human medical field. Um, and so we wanted to see what, what that looked like in the horse. So through a, a, a various group of studies, um, uh, fortunately we were funded by the Grayson Jockey Club for this research. Uh, 
we looked at the four major classes of bacteria that cause infectious endometritis in the horse, uh, Streptococcus equi subspecies zoopidemicus, or beta hemolytic strep as it's more commonly known, E. coli, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, and Klebsiella pneumoniae. And what we found was that um, we looked at isolates from both uh, Colorado State and from Lexington, Kentucky, and we found that the vast majority of bacteria isolated from the equine uterus are capable of forming a bile film, at least in the in vitro testing um, model that we were using. And so this told us that, yes, these bacteria could potentially be forming a bile film and, and leading to some of the issues that we see in, in human medicine. Um, we went on to, to actually uh, do a whole series of, of studies looking uh, in vitro at what compounds could effectively uh, break up that biofilm and most effectively clear it. And what we found from that was is that it seems like a combination of an antibiotic and a non-antibiotic. So the goal was that the non-antibiotic would help break up or disrupt some of that biofilm a little bit, allowing better penetration of our antibiotics um, into that biofilm to actually kill the bacteria. So, so that, that was a great take home and, and um, um, we've been able to publish that data and, and show what agents, non-antibiotics and antibiotics can be combined effectively um, to provide a better killing of bacteria in a biofilm state. Now, um, one clinical tip or, or take home message from this, we did also find that um, you can't mix everything together. Some antibiotics and non-antibiotic classes could not be mixed together. And when we actually mixed them together, oftentimes we saw inactivation that um, the compounds were in combination were less effective than what they were individually. So just when thinking about treating a mare, you wanna, wanna make sure that the compounds you are using can effectively actually be mixed together and see a synergistic effect because sometimes when you mix two compounds together, you may result in inactivation. And, and probably the one that we saw the most was acetylcysteine mixed with, with virtually almost any antibiotic resulted in, in a pretty profound inactivation of, of, of effect um, of those antibiotics. So, so that led us down the road of, of some various recommendations, but we really wanted to know what did this biofilm look like in the, in the reproductive tract? And so to do that, we took um, strains of Pseudomonas um, isolated from the equine uterus. We and genetically modified it to express a luciferase gene. And the importance of that was that now it glows in the dark. And so that would allow us to track these bacteria and know where they're located in the uterus. So we inoculated mares um, with the Pseudomonas organism. We allowed that infection to develop and then looked in the uterus to see where these bacteria actually were located. And we learned a couple key things about this. Um, bacteria in the biofilm state seem to be more located at the base of the horns and up towards the tips of the uterine horns. So a couple of key points for this, this may alter how we collect samples from mares um, suspecting a, a chronic infection involving a biofilm. If you use a, a traditional double-guarded culture swab or, or cytology brush as your, as your diagnostic uh, sample of choice of, of if this mare has an infection, most likely, most of the time, you're collecting a sample from the uterine body. 
which actually in, in that study, we found very little bacteria in a biofilm state in the uterine body. Most of it would have been up one of the horns. And so you may have to do something more like a, a low volume lavage where you infuse a small amount of fluid into the uterus, somewhere between uh, 250 and 500 mils, and, and collect that fluid back out. And, and basically you're rinsing the uterine lumen, collecting um, material for, that's free in the uterine lumen, and, and potentially being able to diagnose the biofilm that way. And, and that may be a better diagnostic technique because it allows us to get a sample more readily from the, um, from the individual horns versus a double guarded culture swab. The other thing that we learned um, that was a significant take home message from that study was that not all fixatives are the same. Um, we, we kind of had believed that, um, that certain fixatives may be better than others. And, and we, we found out from this study is that if you fix endometrial tissue in 10% formalin, which is what a lot of laboratories uh, prefer, um, that actually washes away the material that's adherent to the surface of the endometrium. And what we found was that Bowen's solution happens to be the fixative of choice for um, preserving that, that matrix containing that biofilm on the surface of the mare's endometrium. So if you want to have a chance of taking an endometrial biopsy and seeing a biofilm, you really need to fix that sample in Bowen's solution for appropriate um, um, diagnostic ability. So the, the final part of our, our group of studies that we performed at CSU was a lot of our work with the antibiotic and non-antibiotic combinations and what were effective was really performed in vitro, which takes away aspects such as the host immune system, uterine clearance, all sorts of, of factors that would apply in, in real life clinical management. And so we really wanted to know, were these treatments more efficacious in combination against a biofilm or not? So since we kind of understood the, the biofilm pathophysiology um, with our luciferase um, altered bacteria, we took those bacteria and then inoculated them into a new group of mares, just like we'd done previously to understand the biofilms in the equine uterus, let that infection develop. And then those mares got randomly assigned to, to four different treatment groups. An untreated control group that received no treatment, a group that received an infusion of just Tris EDTA, a group that in, received just a treatment with ceftiafir, and finally the fourth group, which was a combination of ceftiafir and Tris EDTA. And the goal of this was to go, did the combination of the antibiotic and the non-antibiotic actually lead to better clinical outcomes than just an antibiotic or non-antibiotic infusion alone. And so um, the result of that study was that um, while the antibiotic and non-antibiotic um, alone did result in treatment for some mares, about 50 to 60% of the mares still stayed persistently infected um, with the organism that we inoculated into the mare's uterus after treatment, suggesting that those mares were living in a biofilm state and were tolerant to that therapy. When we merged Tris-EDTA with ceftiafir as our, as our treatment, we resulted in 100% clearance of the organism that we inoculated into the mare's uterus, suggesting that in those mares that that combination of, of Tris-EDTA and ceftiafir were able to break down the biofilm 
and clear it from the uterine lumen. So I think those are, are really some thoughts um, and, and, and some new things and, and thought processes with infectious endometritis is kind of this idea of, of biofilms, what are they and where, where do we find them? And, and when we think about what mares have a biofilm, you know, usually the mares that we think about this for is the mare that we collect a culture in cytology, we diagnose, I'll say E. coli, and we come up with an appropriate treatment plan, we treat that mare, and then we reculture her on the next cycle, and she still has an E. coli infection. Now, as most practitioners listening to this know, 90% of the mares would have would have been treated quite readily and, and be ready to head to the breeding shed or, or have semen ordered for. But that small population, five to 10% of mares that have these um, repeated uterine infections, especially with the same organism, those mares are screaming that they have a biofilm present. And, and that's really the justification that, that the human medicine um, colleagues use is that if they have an infection that is treated appropriately with the appropriate length of antibiotics that returns, a biofilm is strongly suggested to play a role in that chronic infection and appropriate therapy should be administered. So in that population of mares that, that we have that seem to have these repeated infections, uh, the addition of a non-antibiotic with your antibiotics can help alleviate those infections. We're still, um, both in human medicine and veterinary medicine, looking for good diagnostic techniques to, to diagnose cases that actually truly involve a biofilm versus those that are do not. Right now, we're kind of left with this, this mysterious black box of we have these infections that aren't responding to traditional therapies. So we're thinking that a biofilm may be involved, but there could be other, other aspects that are, that are causing that, that chronic infection at this case. Um, and so, um, but unfortunately right now, the, there isn't a lot of ability to diagnose a true biofilm, um, in a clinical setting, um, in a research setting over, over working over weeks and months, we can clearly illustrate that, yes, there is a biofilm there, but there's not a good rapid bedside test that says, yes, this mare or this human has a biofilm present. And so... Uh, potentially in the future, as, as additional diagnostics are developed, that may become the case. But right now, unfortunately, we don't have that capability. Well, that, that research is really interesting. And those are good tips in order to, to help some of these mares that culture treat, reculture, and still are infected, especially with the, the same bacteria. So good tips on that for, uh, for veterinarians in the field. So is there anything else that uh, you would like to talk about endometritis today, Dr. Ferris? You know, I think that kind of, kind of covers the vast majority of areas that, you know, the, the majority of people are going to be out there working on and, and, and whatnot. And, and I would tell everybody that, you know, everyone sometimes has those mares that, that are difficult to treat and, and, to get cleaned up from both the, the inflammatory side, the post-breeding or post-mating endometritis, and then also the infectious side. And, you know, sometimes just taking a minute and, and going back to the basics and, and really reevaluating this mare and, and trying to figure out why these things are happening can really help you try to, to figure out what's going on and, and come up with a strategy to eliminate this problem in the future. 
Well, that's great advice. So thank you, Dr. Ferris, for joining us today on Equimanagement's special AAEP Convention edition of Disease Du Jour, brought to you by DECRA Veterinary Products. And thank you for listening to our podcast. You can hear previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you'll join us again for a future edition of Disease Du Jour.